chapter two part one of thomas hobbs by alfred edward taylor this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two part one philosophy its scope and methods hobbes's main influence on the thought both of his own and of subsequent times has been felt almost exclusively in the domain of ethics and politics he is primarily important to us as the herald of a new epoch in english thinking an epoch which we might fairly say was closed only the other day by the death of herbert spencer when we think of him it is usually as the first in the long succession of english empirical psychologists the earliest english writer of many who have sought to found a purely naturalistic system of moral and political science on the basis of biological and psychological fact but it is equally true that hobbes ends an epoch he is the last english philosophical writer with the single exception of spencer to understand the word philosophy in the wide sense put upon it in the middle ages as the systematized and codified body of all rational human knowledge with his immediate successor locke begins that distinction between science and philosophy by which the scope of the latter is closely restricted to epistemological inquiries into the conditions and nature of knowledge in general and psychological investigations into its growth while the task of extending the contents of our knowledge of the extra subjective world is made over exclusively to the sciences a distinction which has ever since for good and bad dominated english philosophy from hobbes's own point of view then his doctrine of man and society cannot be fully appreciated unless we consider it in connection with the rest of his system as an integral part of that body of deductions from the general laws of motion which constitutes science for this reason as well as for the intrinsic value of many of his thoughts on the nature and methods of science it is essential to examine hobbes's general theory of the range and the procedure of science before considering his achievements as a theorist in the fields of morals and sociology the definition of philosophies given at the beginning of the de corpore our citations are from the english version of sixteen fifty six runs thus philosophy is such knowledge of effects or appearances as we acquire by true ratiocination from the knowledge we have first of their causes or generations and again of such causes or generations as may be from knowing first their effects here the words by true ratiocination are intended to exclude from philosophy knowledge directly given in sense perception or resting merely upon unsystematized experience while the expression such causes as may be in the second clause of the sentence alludes to hobbes's view that by reasoning backward from effects to their causes we can never discover the cause of a given effect but only one or more alternative causes by any one of which the result might have been produced philosophy then is in short reasoned knowledge and if we ask why we ought to set a value on such knowledge hobbes replies even more emphatically than bacon for the sake of its practical consequences the end of knowledge is power and the use of theorems is for the construction of problems and lastly the scope of all speculation 
is the performing of some action or thing to be done concerning body one six in particular the utility of moral and civil philosophy is to be measured by the calamities which arise from ignorance of it all the avoidable calamities of human life says hobbes with characteristic exaggeration are due to war and men go to war not because they wish to do so or because they do not know that war is productive of evil effects but because they do not know the true causes of war and peace that is they are uninstructed in the true principles of civil and political obedience which had in fact according to hobbes been formulated for the first time in sixteen forty two in his own day seaway a true system of philosophy in which the principles of morals and politics should be rigorously deduced from the fundamental axioms of science would therefore act as a universal peacemaker philosophy then is sharply distinguished by its reasoned form from history the mere record of past experience whereas sense and memory are but knowledge of fact which is a thing past and irrecoverable science is the knowledge of consequences and dependence of one fact upon another leviathan one hundred five the peculiarity of philosophy or science is that its results are at once universal and exact experience concludeth nothing universally but nothing is produced by reasoning outright but general eternal and immutable truths it is a notable peculiarity of hobbes's doctrine that while he agrees with the ordinary empiricist that the first beginnings of knowledge are the phantasms of sense and imagination he almost entirely neglects the problem of inductive logic how general eternal and immutable truths can be educed from these particular isolated phantasms from the definition above given it follows at once that since philosophy treats only of generations or causal processes there can be no philosophical knowledge of any being which has no cause and consequently no philosophy of anything eternal hence there is no science of god since god is by definition an uncaused and eternal being theology is thus at a stroke excluded from the range of scientific knowledge similarly since all causation is production of one motion by another there is no science of anything except bodies the profession of philosophy is to search out the properties of bodies from their generation or their generation from their properties hobbes will not even allow that we can form any intelligible concept of anything incorporeal and contends that when god is said by the official anglican theology to be without body this is a mere vague expression of reverence in strictness according to him there is no definite concept attached to the name god and it is on this ground that he criticizes descartes argument from my possession of an idea of god to the actual existence of god hobbes replies third objections to the meditations that the inference is worthless since i have no idea of god at all all knowledge of god 
requires revelation and revelation needs to be accredited by miracles since miracles have ceased a point on which hobbes agrees with orthodox protestants no one can now claim to be heard when he alleges a divine revelation as a reason for disobedience to his civil sovereign it is our duty to accept the theology promulgated by the state not because it is true but because it is official religion is not philosophy but law hobbes's general position as to the limits of science is thus closely akin to that which we should nowadays call positivistic science extends only so far as the world of bodies moving in accord with fixed mechanical law and no further what distinguishes hobbes from most modern representatives of this view is that he does not combine it as they do with the further assertion that the whole of the knowledge thus acquired is merely relative or concerned solely with phenomena which are manifestations of an underlying unknown and perhaps unknowable reality that bodies really and objectively exist and that the laws of their emotion can be discovered he simply assumes as an unquestionable fact he has no inkling of the deeper problem of descartes's meditations how it is possible for the individual mind to be assured of anything outside the circle of its own states from the definition of philosophy as the knowledge of bodies the threefold division of the subject at once follows for bodies are either natural or artificial natural bodies again include among others one class which is of supreme importance inasmuch as it is the object of all our psychological study of sensation thought and emotion the bodies of human beings an artificial body is what we commonly call a society or commonwealth the society or commonwealth is just as much a single body and governed just as completely by the general laws of the motion of bodies as the individual organism its only distinctive characteristic is that it is artificial that is it owes its origin to the voluntary agreement of the persons who form its constituent members hence philosophy as a whole falls into three parts the doctrine of body in general the doctrine of the human body in particular the doctrine of the artificial body or commonwealth two chief kinds of bodies and very different from one another offer themselves to such as search after their generation and properties one whereof being the work of nature is called a natural body the other is called a commonwealth and is made by the wills and agreement of men and from these spring the two parts of philosophy called natural and civil in the first place therefore after i have set down such premises as appertain to the nature of philosophy in general i will discourse of bodies natural in the second of the dispositions and manners of men and in the third of the civil duties of subjects concerning body one nine by the premises which appertain to the nature of philosophy in general are meant of course the general principles of logic and method and it is from the account of them that we have to collect hobbes's views on the theory of knowledge 
scientific method then has two branches reasoning from general principles definitions and axioms to their consequences or as hobbes phrases it from causes to their effects and this is synthesis reasoning from the facts to the principles involved from effects to causes and this is analysis synthesis and analysis thus correspond to our popular distinction between the deductive and inductive uses of logic only the former the purely deductive type of reasoning is rigidly certain and yields perfectly determinate conclusions the latter is essentially hypothetical and consists merely in pointing out such principles as would lead deductively to the observed results hence hobbes like epicurus explicitly maintains that different theories as to the cause of an observed fact may be equally true if each would equally lead to consequences which agree with observed facts in modern language his theory of method makes induction to consist simply in the in the formation of explanatory hypotheses apart from the further task of complete verification by showing that any explanation other than that adopted would lead to results which conflict with fact like jevons he regards induction as being merely the inverse operation corresponding to the direct operation of deduction as division or integration corresponds to multiplication or differentiation hence he held that the royal society was proceeding on altogether false lines in attempting to advance physical science by direct experiment rather than by reasoning deductively from pre-assumed general theories hence too his uniform silence as to the inductive method of bacon the avowed object of which was to eliminate the anticipation of nature by the framing of initial hypotheses altogether from the work of science now the ultimate first principles of deductive science are all according to hobbes definitions that is statements of the meaning of names everything in science therefore turns upon the original definitions science is merely the correct deduction of the consequences implied in the giving of names and names hobbes holds were originally given arbitrarily for it is true that for example man is a living creature but it is for this reason that it pleased men to impose both those names on the same thing concerning body three eight this point comes out clearly in the famous definition of a name ib two four a name is a word taken at pleasure to serve for a mark which may raise in our minds a thought like to some thought we had before and which being pronounced to others may be to them a sign of what thought the speaker had or had not before in his mind consistently with this view hobbes adopts an ultra nominalist position in logic the only names which directly denote realities are singular names of individual bodies general terms or common names do not directly denote an object at all there is for example no such object as man in general this word universal is never the name of anything existent in nature nor of any idea or phantasm formed in the mind but always the name of some word or name so that when a living creature a stone a spirit or any other thing is said to be universal it is not to be understood that any man stone etc ever was or can be universal but only that these words are universal names that is names common to many things ib to nine 
a proposition is a speech consisting of two names copulated by which he that speaketh signifies he conceives the later name to be the name of the same thing whereof the former is the name ib three two thus hobbes's doctrine as to the import of propositions is that their whole meaning is that the predicate is the name of the same thing as the subject or the case of negative propositions that the subject and predicate are not names for the same thing he is careful however to mitigate the extreme nominalism of this account by adding that the use of the copula in english is to make us think of a reason why the two names are both given to the same thing searching criticism might here find an occasion for attacking hobbes out of his own mouth since this last remark as to the function of the copula clearly sets limits to the alleged arbitrariness of the employment if not to the arbitrariness of the invention of names reasoning now receives an equally nominalist definition it is and the phrase sounds curiously prophetic of the modern discovery that logic is really a mathematical calculus the computation of the consequences of names and may be regarded as consisting entirely of addition the formation of complex concepts by putting words together and subtraction that is abstraction the formation of more general concepts by analysis of a complex name into its simpler components concerning body one two three four six leviathan one hundred four now apart from any minor objections which might be raised as to hobbes's tacitly implied theory of the way in which language has historically developed this whole account of the nature of reasoning involves an obvious and tremendous difficulty of principle a difficulty which meets us again in the doctrine of those modern mathematicians and logicians who regard the written or printed symbols of arithmetic and algebra as the actual objects with which mathematical thought is concerned as we have seen hobbes holds that the whole body of the conclusions of deductive science is a mere consequence of the initial definitions a point on which he was afterwards followed by locke and as he is careful to point out the sense which the introducer of a new word or other symbol is to put upon his invention is a matter of his own choice the definition then being merely a declaration of the sense in which i intend to employ a hitherto unused word or other sign is properly speaking neither true nor false as hobbes himself puts it concerning body six fifteen it is not necessary to dispute whether definitions are to be admitted or no for when a master is instructing his scholar if the scholar understand all the parts of the thing defined which are resolved in the definition and yet will not admit of the definition there needs no further controversy betwixt them it being all one as if he refused to be taught since all our conclusions then are simply logical consequences of arbitrarily constructed definitions which are themselves neither true nor false it would seem to follow that the whole of knowledge is a mere ingenious sporting with puzzles like the solving of chess problems the ultimate rules of the game being like the rules of chess neither true nor false but purely arbitrary in what intelligible sense then can our conclusions be said to be themselves true it is this difficulty which leibnitz has in his mind 
when he urges against the extreme nominalists that though names are artificial they are not arbitrary for instance quite different symbols might be chosen to represent the concepts we commonly symbolize by the signs two three five plus equals and in that case the truth we now write in the form two plus three equals five would be expressed by a very different set of symbols but the numerical truth meant or symbolized by both groups of signs would be one and the same for every true proposition expressed in our familiar notation about relations between numbers there would be one and only one corresponding proposition in the other set of symbols the particular signs selected to denote the different numbers and the different operations which can be performed upon them may be largely arbitrary but there is nothing arbitrary about the laws of their combination end of chapter two part one